As many of you know, our church supports a number of different missionaries from different countries, and we're involved in a number of different mission works. We have a team, for example, in November who travels to Nicaragua to train pastors and church leaders there. We have uh, sent several teams to Nigeria, and Brent's actually getting ready to go again to Nigeria in the spring. We also have a group who is praying about a uh, trip this summer to work with uh, Melanie Wilson in, in Costa Rica. So we have lots of works going on, lots of, lots of opportunities, lots of different works. And in the past, when the leadership has gotten together to talk about what works we're to be involved in and, and what kind of short-term mission work we should do, there are normally three questions that are often asked. Number one, where do we go? Number two, what do we do when we get there? And number three, why? Why should we go to that place and, and why should we do whatever we're going to do and why should we do it biblically? Where do we go? What do we do when we get there? And why biblically? These are important questions to answer before you do any type of ministry work. Well, this morning, we are going to answer those three questions as we look at the short-term mission ministry of Paul and Silas. We are going to see in their short-term trip to Thessalonica, short-term mission work done right. And we're going to draw out application for ourselves as well. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 17. We're continuing our study through the book of Acts entitled To the Ends of the Earth. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 this morning. As many of you know already, we are a ways in to Paul's second missionary journey. It's been Paul and Silas the whole way, and they have picked up and dropped off a few along the way so far. There have been as many as four on this trip. Timothy they picked up, and they also picked up Luke before they left for Europe and, and landed and went to Philippi. Last week we finished up Paul and Silas's ministry in Philippi, and after they are released from prison, we're told they stayed in the city a little while longer to provide comfort and strength and encourage the new converts there. And today, we are going to look at the mission work they did 100 miles down the road in Thessalonica. And this morning, I want to discuss this journey. And I want to discuss this great work that, that takes place in this great city and what resulted from this work. And as we do that, I want to answer these three questions. Where did they go? What did they do when they got there? And why did they do the work in which they did? First, where did they go? Well, as we've said already, they went to Thessalonica. But I want you to see here, point number one, they went to a strategic place. They went to a strategic place. Look at verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. As we said a minute ago, Thessalonica was close to 100 miles from Philippi. Take a look at it on the map here up on the screen. 
This is where they've been so far on their second missionary journey. The red squares are Paul and Silas. The X's are where the Holy Spirit didn't allow for them to go. The white square is where Barnabas took John Mark to Cyprus, okay? So this is, this is their, their path so far. The last red square that you see up at the top left here is, is Philippi. And then they travel to Thessalonica. Next, next one here. There it is right there. 100 miles down the road from Philippi across Europe. Now, 100 miles is a long stretch. It is. It's a long stretch, and we know they probably traveled along the Roman roads from Philippi to Thessalonica, which would have made the trip a bit easier and safer because the Romans at this time, they maintained their highways, and they also kept them safe from criminals and and thieves. Yet, though that's the the, the case, this is still a long trip, isn't it? This is a a, a big trip. It would have taken a a few days for them to make this this journey, and they would have had to stop off a few places for the night. But Luke makes it sound as if they don't do much until they get to Thessalonica. He says they just pass through the cities of Amphipolis and Apollonia. And the question we need to ask now is why? I mean, I'm sure people there needed Jesus, right? Why Thessalonica? Why do Paul and Silas have their sights on on this city? Well, one reason, of course, is because they're being guided and directed by the Holy Spirit, right? We learned that when they were going to Philippi because they didn't want to go to Philippi right away. They They wanted to stay in Asia and minister but the spirit led them to Philippi so we know that that the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing them but though Luke doesn't give us many other reasons here we we can draw some conclusions when we study about this city and when we look at the other cities where Paul ministers Thessalonica like Corinth and and like Ephesus and Philippi was a very important city. It had a population of about 200,000, and it was the capital city of Macedonia. And we learn that, that Paul often went to these cities, to these urban centers where there were lots of people, and in places where people would be coming and going a lot for for business reasons and for political reasons. And there were a lot of people in these cities who were were transplants from other areas, who had ties to people in other places like Lydia. Remember Philippi? She was from Thyatira, which was was in Asia. So she was a, a transplant. She had moved from Asia to Europe to live in Philippi. So more than likely, Paul and Barnabas and, and, and Silas, Paul and Silas later on, they, they, they target these areas, these cities, to maximize the spread of the gospel to the surrounding areas. What they wanted to do was they wanted to take the gospel from Antioch to Rome. And they stopped at these key cities along the way and in hopes and and praying that as the gospel took root, it would spread out from there and this whole area from Antioch to Rome would just be saturated with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And we learn as we continue to study Christian history beyond the Bible that that's exactly what 
happens. That's exactly the work God does. So Paul goes to a strategic city, but not only that, notice also he goes to a strategic place in the city. Notice at the end of verse 1, we're told that Paul and Silas once again went to the synagogue in Thessalonica. We've talked about this quite a few times already. Though Paul was primarily an apostle to the Gentiles, he always hits up the synagogues if there is one. Remember in Philippi there was not one, but he still went to the Jews first, right? But in Thessalonica, there's a synagogue, and so that's where they go first. And they do this for several reasons. One is because at this time, there would be an open door there for guys like Paul and Silas, being Jews, being leaders, being teachers, to come in and and to teach. Paul was a Jew with great training. He studied under the the great Gamaliel, Rabban Gamaliel, Master Gamaliel. He was from good stock. He was from the the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul had great pedigree. Silas was also a Roman citizen like Paul, and he was a well-respected Jewish prophet from the Jewish congregation in Jerusalem. And synagogues were places where people like Paul and Silas would have had an immediate audience, a place where they knew what they believed, and they could, they could make a connection pretty quickly to Jesus. The Jewish people in the synagogues, they knew the Old Testament very well. They had just left Christ out. And so it was a place where there would be an open door for them to come in and share Christ with them from the Scriptures. They also liked going to the synagogues because the same Jews met in the same place on a regular basis. Notice here in verse 2 that we're told that Paul met with them, Paul and Silas, they met with them on three separate Sabbath days. Now, this might not have been three consecutive weeks that they met. Many argue that uh, they were there for longer than three weeks or a month, but they they were still there for a short period of time. And Luke tells us they had three separate opportunities to share Christ with the same group of Jews. Paul and Silas also knew that if they went to the Gentiles first, they might not have an audience with the Jews later on. They didn't want to close the door on being able to share Christ with them, so they went to them first. And after some of the Jews were were saved, they knew that they would have Jews who would be able to go out fairly quickly and minister like Paul does in Damascus because they knew the scriptures, they just left Christ out. So they could plug him back in and, and go and share Christ from the scriptures. And they also knew they would have some immediate leaders for the church there and they would have connections with those in the city. So this is a great strategy, isn't it? Paul and Silas have a great strategy for for ministry, and they picked a very strategic city and place within the city. Great strategy. And folks, like I've said before, believers, God wants us to be strategic like this in, in ministry. He wants for you and he wants for me to look at who we have an audience with already, with people we we know. And people we know what they they believe and we understand where they're coming from. And he wants us to go to those people and he wants us to meet them where they are so that we can take them from where they are and lead them to Jesus. That's what he wants. 
Paul and Silas, the others, they, they did this. And as a result, they were very fruitful in ministry. You're going to be challenged in your Bible study this week, and I hope you're doing that each and every week, the Bible study that we provide. You're going to be challenged in your Bible study that you have in your bulletin to develop a plan to minister to those around you, those in your home, those in your neighborhood, in the workplace, those you have an audience with. And and I challenge you to pray about and put together a plan on how to minister where, where God has you and to the people that he has placed in your life. One of the keys to fruitful ministry is to have a strategic place like this, a place where you can go and and, and minister. That's where they went. And what did they do when they got there? Well, point number two, we learned that Paul and Silas shared an important message. They went to a strategic place. They shared an important message, God's gospel message. Look at verse two and three. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. So what did Paul and Silas do when they got to Thessalonica? They shared Christ with them. And not just in this 10-minute presentation, then invitation. They didn't just go and saturate this synagogue with gospel tracts and leave. They stayed for weeks. They, They spent three Sabbaths talking about Jesus. And notice the words that Luke uses. I love this. He says, Luke says, Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures. The word reason here is the Greek word dialegomai. Where we get our word dialogue. He dialogued with them. He discussed the scriptures with them. Notice what else Luke says. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. So he reasoned with them. He explained to them and he proved to them these things. Do you know that the Christian faith is an intelligible faith? It is. Paul understood this. Luke understood this when he's explaining what Paul was doing. He reasoned with them. He appealed to reason. He appealed to common sense. And notice here, Luke said this before, but he says he proved, he proved that the Messiah was to suffer and die and rise again from the scriptures. So he was was convincing that the Messiah was to suffer and to die and rise again. And he also makes connections here with Jesus. He explained that Jesus had done this. Jesus is the Messiah. And he explained the importance of his his death and resurrection. We're told that, that Paul proclaimed. There's another great word to describe what he and Silas did while they were in the synagogue in Thessalonica. He proclaimed, he heralded, he announced that Jesus is the Christ. So for three separate Sabbaths, they reasoned, explained, 
proved and proclaimed in the Scripture, from the Scripture, that Jesus is the Christ and about the importance of His suffering and death and resurrection. And let's just pause here for a minute and talk about why it is important that Christ suffered and died and why it is important that He rose again. Did you know that it is necessary, it was necessary for Jesus to suffer and die and rise again. Did you know that? Absolutely necessary. It was necessary first for him to suffer and die, to be made right with God. Get this, we have to have a substitute because because of our sin. We have to have our sin taken care of. And we can't do this work. Scripture is crystal clear on that. It had to be done by one who was perfect in every way. One who lived the life God intended for man to live, the perfect life. It had to be done by one who was able to offer up the perfect sacrifice to us, for us to cover our sins, past, present, and, and future forever it had to be done by one who could function as our perfect high priest had to be done by a spotless and perfect lamb only the god man the christ the messiah the lord jesus could do this great work is the only one who could cover our sins past, present, and future forever and bear the punishment of sin that we deserve and remove the sting of death from us by taking the sting of death for us. Only Christ could do this work. It was was necessary for him to suffer and die. It was also necessary for him to be raised for us. We're going to talk about this more in March as we get closer to Resurrection Sunday. But let's talk about it now. The resurrection validates who Jesus claimed to be and all that he said and all that he did during his earthly ministry. Without the resurrection, there would be no validation of anything concerning Jesus. His resurrection, witnessed by by hundreds, validates everything he said and did, everything he claimed to be, everything he came to do. Had a professor in college used to say this he used to say if they could only find that body christianity would be done away with no i didn't have boldness back then i hope i would today i want to say to him today yeah but they haven't so what should that tell us right so pastor once said if the tomb is occupied then nothing really matters but if it's empty christ is the only one who does very very true The resurrection is is necessary. It's also necessary because, get this, we need a risen Savior to stand in our place and on our behalf as our perfect high priest. Do you realize that? We're, We're told in Hebrews that Christ is our perfect high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us, and we need him to be that for us, and we need him to do that great work for us. The resurrection also fulfills the words of the prophets and the promises of Jesus. The fact that the grave could not hold him and death could not keep him from rising again gives proof to us that Jesus is God's man, his Messiah, God's forever king. If Christ has not been raised, then we, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, are without hope. 
He says, if Christ is not raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile. We are still in our sin. If Christ has not been raised, we are of all people most to be pitied. The resurrection is necessary. His suffering and death is necessary. That, that was Paul and Silas's message in Thessalonica. And though they were just there for a short period of time, they made the time that they had there count for God and for his gospel and for his glory. They brought with them the most important message in the world. They made those three Sabbaths count. And we're told that great, great fruit came from this great work. So I want to ask you today, believers... Again, are you making the best use of the time that God has given you with friends, with family, with neighbors, with coworkers, with those that God has placed in your life? We have to make the time that God has given us count. We got to take advantage of every opportunity. And he's given us a message, hasn't he? A great message. A message that has changed your life, believers, my life, forever in the best possible way. And he has given us that message and he has told us, go share it. Make me known. Make my gospel known. I don't know where God is going to lead each and every one of you in here in the future. Some of you he'll lead to other places. He may keep you right here. I don't know. But I do know what you're to be doing, believers, when you get to where God's leading you, what you're to be doing right now, what you're to be doing if he keeps you here forever. You're to be doing this right here. Wherever God leads you in life, that is where he wants you to minister. Wherever your circumstances take you, wherever you're thrown, that is where your ministry is to continue. You're to be doing this great work, reasoning with people from the scriptures. You're to be explaining and proving and proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, that he suffered and died and was raised so that we, through him, through faith in him alone, could be forgiven of sin, be made right with God, and have life in his name. That's what you're to be doing. You're to be plugging in to churches and plugging into ministries where you're encouraged to share this important message. So Paul and Silas went to a strategic place. They shared an important message. And why did they do this? Why did they go to the synagogue in the city of Thessalonica to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus? Point number three, to advance God's kingdom. To advance his kingdom. They went to the synagogue in Thessalonica because they have been commissioned by Christ to do so, to be his witnesses and to make disciples and advance God's kingdom. That's the reason they went. That's the reason they preached Christ there. And that's exactly what happened. Look at verse 4. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So Paul and Silas, they see great fruit in this city. We're told that, that some Jews and a great many devout Greeks came 
to Jesus in this city. And I believe devout Greeks here, uh, by using that uh, term there, Luke is referring to the God-fearers, once again, the Gentile converts to Judaism. And we're also told that of all who came to Christ in this city, a great deal of them, a great many of them were women. So like in Philippi, women played a pivotal role in the start of the church in Thessalonica. So we see here that the church, like the church in Antioch and like the churches in Galatia, the church in Thessalonica were made up of both Jew and Gentile, men and women. God's kingdom is a diverse kingdom, isn't it? It is. We we see this all throughout the book of Acts. In this day, it was made up of Jews in Jerusalem, Jews and Gentiles in Antioch, Jews and Gentiles throughout Galatia, devout God-fearing women like Lydia and her household from Asia who had moved to Europe and a Roman jailer from Philippi. And now you have more and more Europeans coming to Jesus, Jews and Greeks, men and women in Thessalonica. God's kingdom is a diverse kingdom. And the more and more Paul and the others move out, the more and more diverse it comes. And that's what God wants. He wants to be known. Where he is not known by all peoples. Jew and Gentile, black and white, men and women, gringo and Latino and Filipino, right? That's exactly right. God's heart is for the nations. He wants to be known where he is not known to the ends of the earth. That's the reason Paul and Silas go into this city to preach Christ. They go to advance his kingdom. And that's what happens. But I want you to notice something here, very important. Though great fruit comes from this great work in this great city, Paul and Silas, and especially the converts in this city, experience opposition. Folks, again, it's a guarantee. God is doing a great work. You better believe that the enemy is going to show up and he is going to fight back. Paul and Silas and Paul and Barnabas and all the others, they experienced this everywhere they went. They experienced kickback in Paphos, in the region of Galatia, in Philippi, and now in Thessalonica. Now, he and Silas don't experience this directly. Paul and Silas do not because they were hidden away, it seems as if in the text here kind of reveals that they were hidden away. They were still in the city, but they were not able to be found. But those associated with them suffer in their place. Remember a while back when Paul was on his first missionary journey, uh, we, we said his message to the new believers was heavy. You remember what he said in Acts chapter 14, verse 22? He says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul tells them this because he knows that being associated with him and being associated with Christ means they are going to suffer. They are going to experience immediate persecution. And they witnessed Paul being drug out in the street and stoned and left for dead. They saw the consequences of following Christ right then with with Paul. Many of them suffer. We see that here in Thessalonica with a man named Jason and the other followers of Jesus. Look at verse 5. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, 
In other words, that, another word for wicked there is worthless men. Worthless or wicked men of the rabble of, or of the, the marketplace. And they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. So let's stop here for a minute. We said last week that the enemy takes a few different approaches when trying to stop the spread of God's gospel and the advancement of his kingdom. Sometimes he tries to infiltrate in and tear the church apart from the inside. That's what he tried to do at first in Philippi with the demon-possessed slave girl. Remember, she's trying to align herself with the apostles and the disciples, trying to infiltrate in to lead people astray. Sometimes he does that. Other times he attacks from the outside. He does that in Philippi as well, and he does that here in Thessalonica. Here he is working through the Jews here in this, in this city to put a stop to this work. And they stir up some people, don't they? They stir up a few more, we're told, from the marketplace. And this mob stirs up many in the city against God's people and against his church. And we're told that they attack the house of Jason because they were wanting to get to Paul and Silas. But they couldn't get to them. So they go after the next best thing. They just go after their followers. Look at verse 6. When they could not find them, Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Verse 7. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Now, what we gather here from this passage is that Paul and Silas were staying at this guy's house, this guy named Jason, while in Thessalonica. And we have no reason to believe that they knew Jason before traveling to the city. He may have owned an inn and allowed them to stay there. But during that time, it appears as if they had ministered to Jason. He had given his life to Christ. The reason I believe that is because he probably would not have stood for these guys, Paul and Silas, had he rejected their message. But here he is standing for them. And so these jealous and zealous Jews, because they could not find Paul and Silas to seize them, they go after the next best thing. And we're told in verse 6 that they dragged Jason and some of the other believers, some of the other brothers before the city authorities, and notice what they accuse them of. This is great. Look at it. They said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here to do the same thing in our city. They accuse Paul and Silas, these troublemakers, of changing the world with their message. They turn the world upside down for the gospel. And let's just pause here for a minute and, and just admit that that's awesome. What, what a wonderful thing to be accused of, right? What if that were said of us? God's people at Fellowship Bible Church have turned these texts upside down with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. May we seek to be guilty of that, right? What a, what a wonderful accusation. But notice how the enemy's also at work here. He, he works through these non-believing Jews to bring about these charges against them. They said these men are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, 
Jesus. So they say that the reason they're opposed to these guys, opposed to the ministry of Paul and Silas, is out of a zeal for Caesar. But we know that's not true, right? Luke gives us the true reason in verse 5. Look at it again. The Jews were what? Jealous. They were jealous. Jealousy was the real reason they wanted to arrest Paul and Silas and put an end to their ministry. They were jealous of the success of Paul and Silas, the success of the gospel, and they were upset because many of the Jews and the God-fearers were turning toward the Lord Jesus. So they thought, we got to put a stop to this as fast as we can. And notice what they do, verse 8. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. So the Jews in Thessalonica and and the wicked men from the marketplace, they were successful in getting people riled up, verse 9. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So apparently... Jason and the other believers, they were, they were forced to pay this money that functioned like bail money to, to get them out. And it also seems as if this money was given with an understanding, with the promise that Paul and Silas would have to leave the city never to return. When writing his first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, we wanted to return to you, but he said Satan hindered us. There are many commentators who believe this is a reference to what Jason and the other believers were forced to do when they were forced to pay that money and send Paul and Silas away, not to return. So so they were forced to leave. But we learned before they do, they left a good number of believers behind who continue to grow in godliness, and out of that great group comes one great Church. Paul says this about the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 through 3. He says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul spoke highly of this church. So God does an incredible work here through Paul and Silas. And even though Satan was hard at work stirring up trouble, and despite the fact that Satan hinders Paul from returning to this city, God does a great work in spite of all that through them, and he continues to do it long after they're gone. But this is an important reminder to us again here today, believers, when seeking where to plug in and where to minister Though it's important that, that we, we do the things God has called us to do and look for ministries that, that fit with, with God's plan for us and what he's clearly told us in his word. And though it's important to see where God is at work and, and plug in doing those things as well. Listen, wherever God is at work, I want you to remember this. Wherever God is at work, there will be opposition. There will be. You can guarantee it. You know, we often think that opposition is a sign we should go elsewhere. We do. Many think that the Christian life and walk is meant to be easy and trouble-free. Many want ministry opportunities like that. They don't want to be faced with conflict and opposition. And at the first sign of trouble, they're looking for the back door out of a ministry. They are. Folks, listen, if God is in it, 
If he is at work, there will be opposition. We need to be prepared for both. We need to pray that God would do a great work, but we need to be prepared for opposition to come when he does. Well, let me close this out by saying this. I want to close by, by focusing on the two groups that are left in, in Thessalonica. Notice Paul and Silas lead two very different groups in this city. Again, we're told that there were some Jews who believed and, and God-fearing Gentiles, and they joined with Paul and Silas, and a large number of the believers there were women. So there was a great response in this great city and a great church that was that was started there but notice also you also have a group of of jealous jews who form a mob made of of wicked men from the marketplace who set the city in an uproar and they persecute the new believers there so you have two groups of people right Christians and non-Christians, believers and non-believers, followers of Christ and those who are opposed to Christ, children of God and enemies of God. And guess what? We have those two groups here this morning. Did you know that? We do. Had them in both service, both services. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. Those who are children of God and those who are enemies of God set against him in their sin. For those of y'all here this morning who are not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, you probably take offense at that. Probably thinking to yourself, well, at least I'm here, you know? I'm not like those guys. I'm not, I'm not opposed to God and his gospel and his people. I'm, it's just not for me, but it, at least I'm here. Maybe that's what you're thinking. God's word makes it clear we're in one of two camps. Jesus said, you're either with me or you are against me. We are all in one of two groups, and the difference between us is Jesus. And there's no middle ground. There's no neutrality with Christ. You can't be neutral. You can't. You're either with him or you're against him. And if you're here today and you are not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, if you are not looking to and trusting in this vital work that he has done for you and for me by laying his life down and taking the punishment of sin that we deserve and being raised again, I pray that God does a change in your heart and life this morning pray that he works in your heart and life in a special way. I pray that God would make it clear to you right here, right now, today, that you are a sinner in need of Christ and in need of what he has done for you. And I pray you would turn from your sin today and make Christ the Lord of your life. No better time to do it than right now. Would you pray with me?